Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem, the city will always hold a special place in my heart for many reasons. It's where I lived my first year of rabbinical school. It's where my husband and I first became best friends, only to realize we were much more than just friends, as you now know. You know how that story uh, continued. But it took us seven years to realize, but it was in Jerusalem again seven years later where we realized that we were stuck together. In addition to all of the Hebrew classes, um, in all the classes in Hebrew lang- language and grammar, Israeli history and archaeology, Tanakh, rabbinic texts. That year we lived in Israel was also an education in and of itself just from living in the Jewish state. Some of that education came in the form of simply living in Jewish time. Strangers wishing you a Shabbat Shalom each week, the quietness on the streets on every Jewish holiday, and so on. And some of that education came in the form of navigating life in Israel and de facto learning about Israeli culture. For instance, my roommate and I had heard that if you were a student, you qualified for a discount on the municipal property tax. You've learned a lot tonight, municipal property tax discounts, Hebrew calendar. But this property tax called Arnona was something that you paid whether you owned or rented your apartment, and it was enormous, $1,000, which was a lot for us as graduate students. So as two graduate students who legally could not work in the country, we were thrilled to find out that there was a discount. We immediately went to the City Hall website to determine the next steps, only to see the words in our research in English, all caps, NO STUDENT DISCOUNT. Not ones to give up easily. We returned to the person who had informed us that this discount existed. He is an Israeli and was our classmate. He was shocked. He said, I know the student discount exists. What do you mean? It says, no student discount. So he took a look at the English version of the website that we had been looking at, and he confirmed. Oh my goodness, why does it say no student discount? I know there's a discount. Immediately, he pulled up the Hebrew website. And that's where we saw the words, student discount, click here. So that was our our informal education in Israeli culture and bureaucracy and how things don't always work the way they should. To say we were shocked is an understatement. We immediately felt cheated. Why on earth would the city government of Jerusalem, of all places, blatantly lie on their English website, denying us, students living on loans, a discount? Why would that same government include clear instructions on how to apply in Hebrew? The cosmic injustice of it was infuriating. I was dumbfounded. But the answer of how this could happen was clear. Because they could. This would not be the only time something nefarious was hidden in plain sight from me in Hebrew. But more on that later. I wanted to share this story for two reasons. First, it is a clear memory of a time when I felt something was hidden from me and therefore felt like a write-out lie. And the second is because it highlights my deep-seated value of fairness and justice. It ate me up to discover this. This week's Torah portion, Titzaveh, elicited some of those feelings as well. It begins with the detailed instructions for the priestly vestments indicating which color of thread be used, which fabrics, which designs, which precious stones, and which metals. All of this which is to be worn by Aaron and his sons for the occasion of their ordination as priests. A role, however, only available to men, and not only that, a role limited only specifically to men from a particular family line. 
Perhaps reading it this year, I felt the injustice of it all more acutely. After all, just last week, I had the incredible honor to host a Zoom conversation for our community with Rabbi Sally Presand, the first female rabbi ordained in America. As I read the verses from Exodus from this week's portion describing the exclusive ordination of males, I thought of the thousands of years between when those words were written and 1972 when Rabbi Presand was ordained. Surely these very verses were used as a proof text that only men could be rabbis. Look at the Torah, those defending the sexist stance would say. If God decided only men could be priests, surely it stands that only men could be rabbis. Clearly through my standing here before you on this bima and delivering this very sermon as the fifth female rabbi to serve Temple Israel, that argument thankfully did not stand. We as the reform movement take great pride in our commitment to egalitarianism, the equality of all genders and sexualities in the eyes of God and in the Torah. Growing up in the decades following Rabbi Presan's ordination, it never occurred to me that women could not be rabbis. I didn't have any female rabbis in the congregation I grew up in, but I met female rabbis through our youth movement, Nifty, through visiting faculty at the Reform Jewish summer camp I attended and so on. Because of my involvement in youth leadership, I even spoke to multiple recruiters from Hebrew Union College, the seminary that ordains reform rabbis, mostly all of whom were female, before I even graduated from high school. It is for this reason that my gender was of no concern to me in applying to rabbinical school. Thankfully, I was accepted and off to Jerusalem, I went to begin my studies. Throughout seminary, I rarely, if ever, gave my gender a second thought. I took all the same classes as my male classmates, I served the same student pulpits, had the same internships, fulfilled the same thesis requirements. Our ordination took place on the same day. We were ordained together as part of the same ceremony. Each of us individually were called to the bima to take our place one by one under the ordination chuppah, to have the president of the institution place his hands on our heads and ordain us as a rav b'Yisrael, a rabbi to the Jewish people. Our class sponsored a joint reception for our family friends following the service. Anyone who came to celebrate this monumental occasion in our lives that we had been working five or six years to achieve. At the end of that celebration, each of us took home our ordination certificates, carefully rolled in a tube and packed it among our belongings to prepare for our move to the next step in our careers as we scattered around the country and some of us even around the world. One of the first tasks I completed upon moving to Memphis was getting my ordination certificate, my, my smicha, matted and framed. To this day, it and my other degrees are the only things that are, or, uh, adorn my office wall. Closest to my head hangs my smicha, my ordination certificate, a document I often glance at and feel overwhelmed by the privilege I have to serve in this role, in this way, in this place. So you can imagine my shock when after completing my first year as a rabbi here at Temple, I read an article in May 2016 that announced now that ordination certificates for all rabbis, whether they were male or female, would now bestow the same title. Was I to understand that my beloved ordination certificate had given me a different title than my male classmates because I am a woman? I was ordained in 2015. How could this be? No one told us. The conversation didn't come up. We never even thought as students to compare the different documents. How many among you ever thought to compare a graduation certificate to anyone else to see what was different? You would assume only the name, maybe the degree. 
So we did not assume the certificates were any different. After all, I was ordained 43 years after the first woman was ordained. I immediately marched into Rabbi Greenstein's office to compare our certificates because I couldn't believe it. And lo and behold, they were different. For those of you watching at home, you can see the words on your screen. For those of you who are on this side, you can um, take a look that way. But while the difference in language is minor to the ear and minor in the uh, popped out language, its significance is major. As you can see, male ordination certificates read, or read, Morenu Harav, our rabbi and teacher, in the Hebrew. While the female ones read, Rav Umora, rabbi and teacher. The English, as you can see, reads the same, rabbi. The phrase on male smichot dates back to the 14th century, which as Rabbi Mary Zamor writes in the Sacred Calling Four Decades of Women in the Rabbinate, communicates authenticity, authority, and stature. The reason this title was not given to Rabbi Sally Presand was to undermine her authority and stature, albeit convert covertly. She did not even know that she received different language than her male classmates in 1972. And every woman ordained by HUC from 1972 to 2015, including me, were inheritors of a title without our knowledge, meant to imply, you are not the same. You are not worthy of the same title. And again, we go back to the question of why was this done? Because they could. This knowledge re-entered public conversation this past November when the independent law firm Morgan Lewis released their report of investigation into allegations of misconduct at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion, where all of your rabbis received their training. The publicly available report will make your heart sink. Stories of discrimination, bullying, harassment, and nearly every act of abuse you can imagine. It would break your heart to think that this is a seminary, a Jewish seminary built on Jewish values where these things were allowed to happen. It's a reminder that there's so much work to do. While the issue of unequal ordination certificates was finally resolved in 2016, it is only the beginning of the work that needs to be done. Inequality and injustice hide in plain sight all the time. The harassment and abuse that is excused because of someone's status or power happens all the time. Our movement congratulates itself, rightly so, for being the first to ordain women. However, there's actually something I am more proud of our movement for right now. And that is this soul-searching process that our movement is currently undertaking to uncover the hideous past and present of discrimination, harassment, and abuse of any kind. HUC was the first to release their report. There is another report from the Central Conference of American Rabbis about the ethics process, and there's one to come from the Union of Reformed Judaism itself. This work is not easy. These, these are things that no one wants to admit happened in a movement that they love and are still connected to. So while the difference in language on rabbinic ordination certificates may have only been two words, Rabbi Mary Zamor teaches that the disparity on the degree reflects the gender differences that exist every day for women rabbis. While we no longer, thank God, live with the constant question of if we can be rabbis or with the blatant discrimination that held back women in all expressions of the rabbinate, there are still challenges. These inequalities, she writes, are further compounded by the fact that many do not want to recognize them. While the language of our ordination documents may seem minor, it is indicative of our culture, erasing the experiences of those with less power. Even our most sacred institutions, just like ourselves, fail to live up to our values. The ones, however, that willingly enter the process of reflection, repentance, and rebuilding 
are the ones who actually teach us what it means to be Jewish. As we continue to celebrate 50 years of women in the Reform Rabbinate, let us commit ourselves to holding ourselves and our organizations accountable for falling short of our espoused values. Whether it's seemingly small as the language we use or systemic in how we disempower people, we can and must do better. It's the Jewish way. We have hard truths to acknowledge, but healing is always possible when you do the work. Kenya Hiratzon, may it be God's will.